Welcome to the Notes with Friends podcast hosted by me, Jody Moore Lewis, where I interview women artists, creatives, and entrepreneurs about little notes of life, courage, wisdom, love, and curiosity. Excited for you to join the chat. Oh my goodness, episode 10, the season one finale. I made it. We made it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, for those who've reached out, who've listened to a few episodes, who've listened to all the episodes, who maybe this is their first episode. Regardless, it's such an honor to have your presence here. It's just been a fun experiment, I guess I can say. You know, I've learned so much in what I like about creating this and also the why of creating this and what I get out of the conversations that I have, the curiosity and wonder and and the inspiration that I get from each of these women. And it just makes me excited about what else I'm going to learn, who else I can chat with and, and, and take away their nuggets of life I, I, I just I always find it so fascinating that just we all truly are unique in our journeys and in what we have to offer to to our lives the the world uh, you know not to that not trying to mean like we all have to be at that sort of capacity of a worldly change, but truly like the impact that we have on our worlds and those around us. And I just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of cool. I definitely encourage everyone to just, you know, I don't even know what, where this podcast is going to go. And that's not really the point of it. You know, it's meant for whoever it's supposed to be meant for, but I definitely encourage you if there's some sort of expression, form of expression that you've been wanting to experiment with or try, do it. I mean, this is fun. It's it's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, producing producing a show and all by your all by yourself. Um and maybe you you won't have to do that. But at least for these first this first season it was all by myself, but it was kind of scary each time but once I realized like what am I doing this for why am I doing this it kind of cut the bullshit and the pressure and the need to be seen and liked and relevant for society's structure and that need to be productive and need to hit a certain goal and need to you know top the charts or what have you All that went away because that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this to tell stories, to learn, to grow, and to spread that awareness to others for them to learn and grow. Uh, So anyways, yes, I encourage you to to try that thing, to to try that form of expression. It's, it's, It's fun. I mean, I'm literally sitting here talking to myself. Well, my Yeti mic. And hopefully whoever's listening through Apple, Spotify, or Substack. But I I did it. I'm so fucking proud of myself. <laughs> so I'm going to give myself that. Also, I really want it to stick to a schedule with the... And, and I will consistently try to stick to a schedule. But I also want to give myself kudos that I took a three-week 
little less than three week vacation to Europe and I still got out two episodes okay so I was traveling last week it just it was too much and I'm like whatever I'm gonna get it out this week it's still gonna get out it'll be fine and it's Danielle Savory so of course people are gonna tune in she has so many amazing fans who I've had the pleasure of meeting because I worked with her uh, on her first short film that she directed and wrote and I acted in it and it was such a blast and and a blessing to have been able to create that with her and collaborate. And it was so fun picking her brain and learning her story and her journey. I knew pieces of it, but to really dive in and and have her kind of unveil the challenges and obstacles that she went through to become the woman that she is today, who I definitely look up to and admire. I think that she's such a strong-willed woman who perseveres and consistently strives to learn more and be better and do better in a really humble, fun, joyous, just like humorous, loving, compassionate way. Truly, like watching her work and do her work, she takes it so seriously and she loves it. So she just, there, it just oozes with this delicious happiness <laughs> I mean granted that that's just what I see but I see it consistently in the people that show up in her life um, that get to celebrate her and her wins you know she champions so many other women especially but humans and people in general that it shows by the people that celebrate and cheerlead her on so I was very fortunate and lucky to have her be a part of this podcast. Also, in our conversation, right right off the bat, she gives me a compliment, obviously. <laughs> um, but she compliments my shirt, and I just want to acknowledge that it says the future is female. Also, I want to acknowledge that the place that I got it from is no longer open. Not in a sad way. I think the owner just wanted to go a different route with their lives. But I just wanted to mention it because... It's in there, it's in the conversation, and unless you visually see it, which you can if you follow Notes with Friends on Instagram, I always post a video clip of the conversation, but you would have no idea what we're talking about. So there's some context to to that beginning compliment. And uh, yeah, let's get into her life story. Danielle Savory, a California native, was born with a passion for the performing arts. She has performed as an actress, singer, producer, and now director over the years. Danielle quickly gained attention early on in her standout roles in NBC's smash hit Heroes and as the rock star lead in MTV's Kaya. She also starred in the CW's supernatural spinoff, Bloodlines the leading character of Anna in Tyler Perry's Too Close to Home, and on its seventh season as Maya Bishop on Shondaland's Station 19. She's also had notable roles in films such as Bring It On, All or Nothing, Boogeyman 2, Deep Blue Sea, and many, many more. She recently directed and wrote the short film Heard, which won several awards in the festival circuit in 2022 and recently directed an episode for Station 19 
called Dirty Laundry. Her resume would take very long to continue to list out. So without further ado, here is the effervescent Danielle Savory. They're definitely growing on me. Well, I'm getting also getting better at like actually knowing what to do with them. Yeah. And I have like a little handy any comb and I'm like. <laughs> You're like Grease, like Kanicki <laughs> with his like <laughs> comb up her sleeve. I feel like I just need to start like, hey, <laughs> walk around with my comb in my hair. I love your shirt, by the way. Oh, love- yeah. I wore it. I put it on like randomly today and I was like, oh, this is perfect for Danielle. I'm going like- to keep it on for our Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah, I don't have one and I see them all the time and I'm like, I need to get that shirt. It's a good shirt. It's local. It's from Other Wild from Los Feliz. They do some like, no wonder I see it. Women powered shirts. Yeah, I have another one that says woman power actually. Yeah. <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I'll have yeah. to check it out. You got to obviously after this, you'll text me or I'll text you and we get the actual information to make sure. 100%. 100%. <laughs> How are you? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate I'm, it so much. I'm- so happy to be on it. Uh, I'm so happy that you're doing it. You're the one that's doing all the hard work. So I'm happy to be a, a guest on it. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Season one finale, baby. Yes. Is this it? This is for the season one finale? Yeah. No way. I wanted to start with 10. It felt digestible. Okay. You know, I started with Kelly and ended yes, with you. I remember. Yep. It's so Love good. Love Kelly. Yeah. I'm actually going to see her in a couple weeks in London. London? <gasps> Oh, please send her my love. I know. Um, she's like, talk about somebody who has strength, like full on, just t- pick up and change her life because she's following her heart and her gut. And it was yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you've been following your gut too in different <laughs> ways. I mean, maybe you're not moving to London, but you are <laughs> doing really amazing, cool things and advocating for yourself and making things happen for yourself that have been different for you and your career. Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I'm starting to see a trend. I think all the women in this group do. Like you, me, Kelly, anybody else you can name that's part of this group is doing the same thing. So the future really is female. <laughs> yes, queen. Yes. <laughs> um, also, side note, I just also have to say the photo shoot you just did, all of those outfits are were phenomenal. The style the best time. I had such an amazing time. I mean, those shoots were all done back to back, by the way. Like, so I couldn't do them while we were filming. There was just too much. Um, and so they all did all three, uh, four photo shoots in one week, which you know how much it takes, like the energy output for a photo shoot. But it was so much fun that just living with like the photographer and the stylist and the hair and makeup teams of each shoot. I loved, and I loved every single one, but for different reasons. But that one specifically was so creatively pushing the limits, like really cool stylistic and colors. Like so many times all of our outfits in these photo shoots end up being for the most part, black and white, or the first ones was like monochromatic or whatever, which is great. And I loved in its own right, but it was really fun to get to play with color. Cause it also feels a little strange doing those photo shoots. I was like, does this work? Like, (laughs) I look like a pink cowboy with like, 
these cool 80s boots and like I feel cool but what do I look like <laughs> you just needed so, it for stagecoach <laughs> exactly I did need it for stagecoach I'm like why did why did I not take some of those clothes for stagecoach but yes the stylist did such an amazing job as did every person on that team and the Justin Ayers the photographer was fantastic he knew exactly you know sometimes you do photo shoots and the photographers are like, just move and we'll capture shots, which is a tactic, which I love, I love doing too. Like the first photo shoot was very much like that. And I did all those weird body movements and they photographed it, but he was very, very, very particular and had a very clear vision of what he wanted. And it was really cool to be in the hand, his hands to kind of, I'll be like, yeah, okay. It was really cool. Oh, so amazing. And yeah, I would like frame some of those. They're so awesome. And like, <laughs> I think that's the cool thing about photo shoots though, because you're wearing things and you know, you're moving with your clothes that you wouldn't just do in like walking down the street, like a normal LA day. You, you do yeah. get to play pretend again, but in a different way versus acting. It's definitely dress up. I mean, most of those outfits I wore for those photo shoots, I would not wear out ever. They're not practical at all. <laughs> They're not practical. Some of them, like literally my butt was just hanging out in the back. Like, <laughs> Some of them were definitely not practical, but in photos, in editorial, they look amazing. So that's what's, I yeah. think, it's so much fun to kind of indulge in the fashion side of things from an editorial standpoint. So. Yeah. You rock it. I hope that there's many more for you. <laughs> I hope so too. I'm glad I got those like four out of the way. And then I was like, we'll wait till the next one, but it was fun to do. Let's start back at the beginning. And you've been in this industry for a long time. So I'm sure you've gone through your journey and, you know, chatted about your beginnings but because that's just where I start with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. I mean, I sometimes feel like a broken record, but most people haven't heard my story, so I have no problem repeating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I love your story. I could listen to it over and over. Um, but you grew up in SoCal. I did. Simi Valley, to be precise. Yep. And you didn't have anyone else really in the industry in your family. It was just you who sort of went into the acting route. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It was just me. My mom um, was a psychologist counselor. She got her degree in psychology and then ended up being like a substitute teacher for special needs. But, and then my dad worked electrical for DWP out here in Los Angeles. And my sister ended up being a firefighter, but went to school for broadcast journalism. So she'd probably be the closest because she initially wanted to be like some sort of newscaster and or follow more of a journalistic um, career path, but ended up being a firefighter. So, which is badass. <laughs> so, so badass. Um, but yeah. Also, do we talk about this? My dad's an electrician. I don't think we have talked about this. I don't think we I have either. Your dad so and my dad can talk about electrical stuff. It's like, they're so smart. I, they know how to fix anything. It blows my mind. I'm like, I hope more people do like these trade type gigs because we still need people to have that knowledge and know how to actually so, do it. It's so true. And when your dads are electricians you realize why electricians can pay so much can charge so much to get like electrical work done because it's not easy stuff like you really have to understand uh, electrical to do it so yeah that's cool though I like that your dad is an electrician too yeah still has to get like a license every so many years or whatever to renew it and yeah, yeah. pretty cool anyways yeah. <laughs> back to you <laughs> I like talking about our dads being electricians. We I do. know it's cute. We do need it. When <laughs> next time he comes out, we'll make them friends or something. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> so how did the bug bite you to get into the industry? I mean, living in SoCal, I'm sh assuming uh, from what it seems like it's sur you're surrounded by it, even though I know it's such a small industry in comparison, mm -hmm. but 
the glamour of it. It's all on the magazines. You're surrounded, I feel like, by the studios. What kind of got you into acting specifically? It was was actually my best friend's mom in second grade. Um, She was the assistant to Cindy Osbrink, which was the biggest child agency at the time, which I think Cindy actually might be still the biggest child agency. Um, She had everyone, Dakota Fanning, Brie Larson, any young kid actor that was working at the time she represented. And then they went on to have careers. So um, I was like this kind of bubbly personality, as you know, I'm still the same bubbly personality, but like bubbly personality, but kind of sassy. And I didn't, I wasn't what you'd consider shy by any means. Like, you know, I was the one that would stand in front of the camera and take pictures and pose wacky and things like that. And so my best friend's mom in second grade was like, you need to get Danielle into acting. And my mom for a while, there was like, absolutely not. No. And it was just really photo shoots. Like you need to get Danielle to do like, just get her in, do some photo shoots. Um, And so my mom said, no, no. And then eventually my best friend's mom kind of weared my mom down as did I think me asking so much because I liked the idea of it too. And so we went and met with Cindy Osbrink and Cindy didn't have mom, like parents in the room. She really liked to interview the kids. Obviously the parents had to be okay with that, but <laughs> um, to be in the room with the kids to make sure they actually wanted to do it and to see like their personalities without their parents there. And so I did a little interview meeting with Cindy Osbrink in her room when I was seven years old in her office. And, um, and she's like, yeah, I'll sign Danielle. And then I like booked my first audition. It was for Mattel, which basically... Mattel owns, so many people I feel like don't realize who owns what, but Mattel owned and might still own Barbie, Cabbage Patch Dolls, My Little Pony, I think is what it was. And now I'm forgetting. As I get older, I'm forgetting. There's something well, else. And basically Polly- all the big girl toys. <laughs> and, and just kid toys in general. And so yeah. I signed with them and for two years uh, did all their commercials so like when like you could do the cat and that's and people there's commercials out there and there's somebody that made like a full compilation of like a lot of the things I did and it was pretty crazy and like a little nostalgic to watch. I was like, that's awesome. I want you to watch and then be like, oh, Danielle's the reason I begged my mom for this and this and this and this. <laughs> there's definitely, it's funny. Some people have seen the toys and they're like, I remember getting that toy. I remember like Shamu Barbie, you know, that was like you know, which is controversial now, but like the you know, SeaWorld girl, it was tied with SeaWorld and it was like the Barbie with the whale, with Shamu the whale. And so like that, the poly, the the Barbie that had wings and you'd like pull the lever and it would fly. Oh, my sister had that one. Yep. Like that was one, like there's a couple that people are like, I remember having that toy. So it's pretty cool. But yeah, it's, it's crazy that I was like in the commercials and in all the ads. So I still have some of like the boxes that had like my face is just like, plastered on them. It was pretty cool. That and it is cool. so cool. It was cool as a kid to do that. And so at first it was kind of just like fun and I was doing it for fun and I was able to go on like what they call the cattle calls and like sit in rooms and my mom didn't mind taking me at the time she wasn't working. So um we, she was able to take me on the auditions and I kept working and working and working and then eventually at like 12 they said, "Do you want to start auditioning for TV?" And I did. And I again weirdly booked my first audition it was a pilot for Warner brothers and the director was David, um, not David, uh, Gavin O'Connor. And it was a great cast of like Brittany snow and 
Erica Christensen. I'm trying to remember the whole cast. It was a fantastic cast though. Jeremy Sumner. And so it was this great cast and I booked it. And then I was like, yeah, I want to keep interview auditioning for like TV and film. Didn't book another acting gig until I was 15. So like, you know, when you're a kid, it's fine. But like, then I booked at 15. I booked Summerland, a TV show and a bunch of other stuff. And I, that's when I was like, okay, I have to leave school. I can't balance filming and soccer and my grades and acting. And the rest is history. I mean, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but like, and now here I am today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so cool. So what was it? So you, you weren't bothered as a kid when you got to be on set and then the show, you said the show didn't get picked up? No, that first pilot did not get picked up. So that was my first experience with like- So you just had oblivious, just child, like having fun and then just kept mm -hmm. living your life and kept doing it. And was like, if I book, what a great mentality. <laughs> It was good. I mean, as I got older, as I started getting into the world of like really wanting to book stuff, like it's interesting, which probably started happening 16, 17 when I was trying to become an official, like an adult mm -hmm. and realize like, oh, I'm going to live on my own. And like, I have to start factoring in money and li livelihood and, you know, all the things that really are are a source of stress. I feel like as an actor, is there's just no stability when you're not working. You're just like, ah, so, um, yeah that started to weigh on me. But as a kid, I didn't have to worry about any of that. It just, it didn't, it's not something that my brain really processed or understood. I just was having a good time. And sometimes it was stressful, like being on Summerlin and like my first kiss was on television on that show was nerve wracking or like having to be in a bathing suit all the time. Cause that, that show took place on the beach. Like those things were nerve wracking, but those are the things I stressed out about as a kid actor or a teen actor. And then it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I started having the anxiety of the stress of like, I've got to book this. Like I need to book this because I need, you know, to have the money or the job or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. When the business of acting truly comes in, mm -hmm. it, it kind of outweighs some, a lot of times. Mm -hmm. All right. So you had your first kiss on TV. Yep. Was that weird? Like, going yeah. back in out outside into like the real world and dating or I don't know what it was that like as like a, a teenager real gosh I know I I'm already like I feel like I'm sweating right now thinking about it like of everything a teenager goes through and being a teenager on the WB at the time yeah now currently the CW mm -hmm. like I, it was crazy it was how it was a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressure and I wish I wish I was able to communicate that better during that age. I don't think I did. So I bottled a lot of it up, which mm -hmm. showed itself in other ways. Cause it was just a lot. I mean, not in a bad way. I'm happy I did it. There's no regrets, but it was a lot of pressure that I just acted like everything was fine when I was like, geez, I was scared shitless to like kiss Jesse McCartney on television. And like, am I a good kisser? What does a good kisser look like? Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Or like, even like my first sex scene on camera. Like I was so nervous having to like do a sex scene it was you know wb so nothing's really shown but like in front of an entire crew of people that was really more it was less about the audience that saw it the millions of you know viewers that saw the show and more about the actual 200 people crew <laughs> that are watching you kiss somebody for the first time or like watching you have like a sex scene and in you know a, a, what's the word i'm thinking of like a oh my god What's the word? The simulated? Thank you. Wait, yeah. Sex. Oh, that was it. Okay. <laughs> that was it. I'm like, I know the word. It's on the tip of my tongue. Help me out, Jody. This is why we know each other so well. Um, <laughs> to do like a simulated sex scene in front of 200 crew members that are mainly men. 
was, uh, was definitely where the anxiety lied. So it was strange, but I got through it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, ugh. and luckily now there's so many more regulations around doing that. Cause right now that kind of sounds insane and inhumane to like <laughs> put an 18 year old through that. I was, I was 16 at the time. Oh, you were 16. Yeah. That yeah. was allowed at 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy I mean, it was really sex in the sense that like, it looked like, I don't know. I can't even remember the whole thing. I'd have to go back and watch it. But yeah, it was supposed to be like, right. you know, a bra was found and like covered in a tat, like a blanket and like, you know, there's positions that we're in and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was a very, but talk about how weird it was. And it is nice in moments like that. Now I'm so comfortable with my sexuality that, you know, they ask if we want intimacy coordinators, me and Stefania for our sex scenes. And every time we're like, nah, we're good. And someone's always there on set, which is good to have. And I'm happy that exists. But definitely when I was 15, 16 years old, could have definitely had somebody to confide in to be like, well, I mean, I'm just nervous. Like even the one, like um, Lisa's her name. She's our intimacy coordinator on set. Just the fact that she has breath mints and like deodorant. <laughs> like just the stuff that you're like, you have anxiety over. You know what I mean? Like totally. I, I mean, when I'll you get ready for a date, you like brush your teeth like 17 times and make sure your legs are super smooth. Yes. You know, like when you're that young, like all those little details matter. And when yes. you're on set, you don't have the luxury of getting ready before you're having to do this intimate thing. Yes. And so it's it's very nice to have that. And I wish I had had an intimacy coordinator then. And I'm glad they exist now for all the, you know, 15, 16, whatever, even 50 year old, if a 50 year old is uncomfortable with the scene, I think it's really important. But you know, I'm fine now. And it wasn't like it didn't traumatize me. It was more just very much I, a, an experience in my life that I remember, for sure. Yeah, no, you seem like such a um, just from knowing you, just like a really grounded woman. And I feel like that comes from like how you navigated your career. And I'm not saying it was all easy and rainbows and butterflies for you, but I just feel like for me, especially, I look back at myself as a teenager being so susceptible to things where I feel like that would have traumatized me and maybe broke me. Did you have any like tools being in this industry and as a woman, and it was back in like two, the early 2000s. I don't even know what that was. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah. trying to age us, but no, even yeah, like it was, 2015 it was. was a different time, you know, or yep. 2017 was a different, that was when Me Too, right, happened. Uh -huh. But, um, but like, what, what, like, what kind of kept you, well, I'll use that term again, grounded through it all. I know you said you played soccer. Like, did you have any outlets to kind of, work through some of the anxiety that you had as a young actress? Unfortunately, I didn't have too many out. I did, of course, play soccer. I had a great group of friends that I still have today. Macy and Chris are, will forever be a part of my life. So I was very lucky that I have those, um, those two as my friends. Um, and I do have a great family dynamic. Like my family has its own issues, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but when it came to supporting me um, and really being there for me, they were. Um, and my mom was very big in therapy. I didn't finally go to therapy until I was older, which I wish I had started younger. And my mom was always a big advocate of it, but was also never going to push me to do it. Um, so I wish I had done that sooner. But I think I've learned a lot. I think in regards to ground, to being grounded, I went through a phase where I definitely wasn't grounded. Like I like got a show when I was 19 and had two films that were going to get released and like all these great things were happening and my agents blowing smoke up my ass about how great I am. And like, 
I definitely was getting to my head and I was not grounded at that age. And I have to say that like going through the hardship that I went through, that show only went one season. I spent every dime I had because I didn't understand the concept of finances and money. And that is something sadly, I wish my parents had taught me. Um, and then on top of it, I, uh, my two films didn't do what they were expected to do either. One was supposed to be a that theatrical release and didn't get released into theaters, went straight to DVD. And then the other one was supposed to be this big, huge festival film. And it just didn't amount to what people expected. So I had all this hype and then it all went away. And then my agent dropped me. And at the time I was like becoming a woman. So I had like gained like at the time, like 20 pounds. And even if I had had the tools to like love myself and just kind of embrace, okay, I'm going through a change. I'm a woman. This is just my body changing. You know, instead I beat myself up. So it was all of that at once. And it was the hardest two years of my life from basically getting dropped my, by my agent to like basically finding myself and like figuring out how to love myself and like, which is still a journey and continues to be a journey. But like that two years were the hardest years of like, what the hell do I do with my life? Like I have no money. I'm, ex you know, in my hometown, I'm kind of like this actress who's supposed to like have all this success. And I'm, you know, sitting in my room crying and like, don't want to go out because I don't love the way I look. So I think, I know this sounds all horrible, but it's like a good learning lesson because two years passed, I started working out. I started seeing a therapist. Um, and even the working out was not meant to lose weight, but just to like be good for my mental state. Um, and so I started to go through that and really things started to change. And so I was like, no more of this pity party. I basically got into like a little pity party and started to turn things around. But I think because I went through that, I'm so grateful for every single success I've had since. Like, I know how bad it can get. I know it can get great, but I also know that like the successes, you take them and you acknowledge them. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, okay, we did this. <laughs> I don't know who we is, but like, you know, me and like the people around me that support me, we did this. Yes. And then, and then to also be like, but at the end of the day, I'm not, my successes don't uh, define me, you know? So I think I, I've learned a lot, but those two years were influential in me being what you consider grounded or humble in who I am now. That was a very long-winded answer. No, that was fucking powerful, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you so much for sharing because I just think it's really important to acknowledge those times. And like, yes, I'm sure when you were going through it, you weren't like, I'm gonna come out better on the other side. Hell no. But you never would have been like that had all the shoes not dropped. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever that term is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, a hundred percent. I didn't definitely, let's point that out. When I was going through it, I did not see the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, this is hell. My life is over. What did I do? Um, but you know, day by day, baby step by baby step. I finally got here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and we're, we're, we're getting there. I can't, I, I can't wait to talk about directing and all that. Ah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, and I know the show, because I wanted to touch on it, because you dabbled in music for a little bit, right? Was that from <laughs> that show? That that I know the MTV thing was, yep. we just, that was what you were talking about. Yeah, the show, um, yeah. yeah was that was your there. first time, like, getting to sing? Or, like, what did you want to be singing? Or when, how did that kind of, because you have such a beautiful voice, and I know you have other friends who are singers, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah. like, how does, how did that kind of play into your life and your creative expression? 
I think it was, it was again, one of those things that kind of just weirdly happened. Um, my sister is actually the one that had the more, like has an amazing voice. And we were, again, when you're by pro like when you're by proxy, when you're close to LA, things just happen. And my sister was singing and my mom and dad were always big believers in like, we wanted to try something out. They would be like, okay, we're going to give it our best effort to like, we're going to get you into that. And my sister was singing and she went on this audition in LA for this singing group. And I went to the audition with them and my sister probably hates this story. And I don't think me and her have even talked about it since. And like, I auditioned for the singing group because I was there and I didn't consider myself a singer. Like I loved singing around the house and like, I had a blast. Like we were just, me and my sister loved putting on like shows basically. Like there's little things like videos of me and my cousins and my sister putting on shows and singing and dancing and being, you know, fun little creative kids. And um, I auditioned and I got <laughs> the part in this musical group at the time was called Sweet Obsession. And I toured with them and we worked with amazing choreographer choreographers at Millennium Dance Complex in North Hollywood. Yep, amazing. <laughs> and so it was great. And uh, Karen and Carl, I cannot remember their last names because I was, again, this was all happening around the same time as WB. Like I basically from 15 to 19 worked nonstop. And I think that's why when it all happened at 19, it felt like everything collapsed. I was kind of on this continual and gradual high from 15 to 19. Um, but I was in the girl group Sweet Obsession and then Sweet Obsession eventually, I was the youngest in the group. So Sweet, Sweet Obsession eventually absolved and it was gone. And then uh, and then I was another group, I can't remember. I think it was Trinity was another girl group that we had with me and two other girls. And then eventually, and we, we actually, all of us did great songs. Like Sweet Obsession had great songs. Trinity had great songs. They were catchy and fun. And I can listen back to them now and be like, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> and, then I, and then I eventually, when Trinity ended, um, tried to do my own solo career. And I had like a good stab at it. I released an album. Fans always love finding my album and like bringing up the songs and constantly asking if I'm going to sing again. But it kind of became a point where I was like, I really just want to choose one or the other. I wasn't able to give, there's only so much time and energy I can expend. And so in the end, um, acting seemed to be more rewarding for me. Um, as much as I loved performing on stage and I love writing songs, like sitting in a producing session, they're two very different worlds. Like the music industry is nighttime. Like it doesn't start till like 9 p.m. <laughs> and you're in studios late at night and you're, you know, writing songs and singing songs. You're performing late at night. Whereas like acting is a daytime thing for the most part, unless you're shooting night shoots. And so honestly, trying to juggle both just meant I didn't sleep. <laughs> and eventually I was like, I can't do this. So it is true. You got to go all in for either. Like you can, mm -hmm. I think, make music on the side. But like if you're actually with a group performing and traveling and putting on shows, yeah. it's a full time job on top of a auditioning is a full time job, too. And yep. Yeah. So there was there was no sleep at some point. And I finally was like, I have to decide. And so I chose acting. Um, and the music industry was different. I mean, this is when you got to remember like Napster happened at that time. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, sorry. I definitely Napstered and LimeWired. We all did. We <laughs> all did. But like that was a big shift in the music industry where they weren't sure what they were doing and they weren't sure how to make like, you know, I, I met with different record labels and like no one really knew. And they're like, you need to be on a show. If you're an actor and you want to be a singer, you need to like be on a show to to kind of launch your music career. And it's so funny. And then I got, Kaya, which is funny because I now play a character named Maya, but 
<laughs> I got Kaya, this MTV show where I got to act and portray a lead singer of a band. And so it felt like the best case scenario at that time. So, but then, yeah, as you know, things, things didn't go as planned. And then I, that was, I did do the solo career a little bit after um, when I was kind of coming back around and getting my, myself, my mental health back in check. And then, and then after a while I was like, okay, I'm done. Just acting. Did my pop star life and <laughs> moving on. I, been, <laughs> I just love that you can like have that on your checklist. Like I've done yeah. it. It's like, what a story. It is. It, it's kind of, it feels like a different life when I think back on it. It kind of shocked me because I, once I decided acting over music, I was on station 19 doing a scene in an episode called Crazy Train. And I'll, I'll never forget this day. It was like, we had set background for the entire episode because it was about a like a virus outbreak on a train. So the same background was with us for the entire shoot. And finally on like the second to last day, one of the background actors looks at me and he goes, are you gonna ever sing again? And it just caught me so off guard because I hadn't been asked about my singing or brought up my music career in like, at that point it had probably been like at least eight years. And so I was like, this person says that. And I was like, what? And like, since then people, every time I meet with fans or do fan conventions or talk with the fans online, everybody's kind of always asking about my music. And Yeah, I actually think the reason I know is from a fan. I think they sent it, they're like, did you know Danielle sang? And then when I was going through your um, oh, resume for this, yeah. for this interview, I was like, oh yeah, Dan Danielle sings. I need to just ask her about it because yep. I just think that's, I mean, once again, I think regardless, it sheds light for anyone listening who, who might want to try singing into like yeah. what it, what, what to do or, or what works, what doesn't work. Or I just, I just want people to know, understand the process a little more and like mm -hmm. what the artist goes through, the creative goes through. And, and also I think it's good to know with, um, with music, you can also be different, a different kind. There's different uh, elements of it. I was not what I would consider this phenomenal belting voice, like my friend Alex Nestor, or like the Adele's of the world, the Whitney Houston's of the world, their voices, the Mariah Carey's, like it's undeniable. They're just powerhouses. I was a performer. Like I had a good, a good voice. I can hold a tune. I love writing songs, but I really love performing. I love being on stage and having these choreographed dances and like having really upbeat songs. So in the end, it was like, I didn't have both. Like I'm not, you know, like Taylor Swift sits there and like writes her own songs, comes up with melodies and can knock it out of the park and performs. So I think too, it's like knowing your strong suits as well. Like you don't have to be a, a, a powerhouse singer. You can also just be a performer or vice versa, or you can do both. But, That's uh, how I viewed Britney. You know, <laughs> exactly. She was my favorite performer. Loved her. <laughs> Same. And I definitely idolized Britney Spears growing up. Obviously, I think all of us young women did. Um, yeah. She was yeah. such an icon and like feminist ahead of her time and mm -hmm. unfortunately did not have the tools to or the support to yep. keep herself sane. So that's it's sucks. so true. That part is so true because she really was. You watch those interviews of her during like when we were younger and how much she would fight back. Even they'd ask her questions and she's like, why are you asking me that? You wouldn't ask a man that. And I was like, man, she was like just kicking ass. Kicking ass, but no one was in her corner. So she was mm -hmm. consistently falling. And that probably, that probably doesn't work on the mind, you know, like, no. Oh, breaks my heart. That's for a whole nother episode. I could talk about Britney <laughs> forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I know before we get into station 19, mm -hmm. I remember 
you and I sat down and you were telling me how at one point though, you were like, should I continue with this career or should mm -hmm. I go to law school? Yeah. And was that before the Tyler Perry thing or? That was before. Yeah. Okay. It was, no, it was kind of this weird thing. It was so before, I would say I'm trying to, it's sometimes funny when you try to like go back in time and remember like the age in which you decided this and decided that. So once I came out of like that dark era, I should say, and started getting back into acting, I still was like progressively trying to move up, but I kind of started questioning and with therapy, if I didn't act, what would I do? Like, does this bring me joy? Do I want to do this? And so I did in those, those years after I went back to school, I went to bartending school. I got a bartending job in Calabasas. Um, and so I started, I was basically doing both. I was acting, but I was also going to school, taking classes um, and bartending. And I was trying to just figure it out. I was like, does this bring me joy? Do I want to do this? And then I was dating someone at the time. They moved to Chicago. And so then that became this thing where I was like, I could move to Chicago and go to law school. Like I could really change careers completely. I could also, what I discovered is move to Chicago and do theater because they have that there. So there was, I was just trying to keep my options open. I was trying to really think, what would I do if I finally was like, I can't act anymore? Because it is a struggle. It feels like what people don't know, and we say it all the time, is, I mean, if you looked at how many auditions I had, I've been I mean, doing this since I was seven. I've probably gone on at least 100 auditions a year. And I'm now, we won't say how old I am. <laughs> I mean, people I mean, know how old I am. <laughs> We all look fabulous now. There we go. We all yes. glowed up. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, thousands of auditions I've gone on. And you look at a resume and it's like, I booked, I mean, I've booked a good amount. Like, I don't know what it is. Is it 10? Something like that? Oh, I didn't count, but you've done a no, good bit. I'm saying like, it's something like, it's got to oh. be like maybe 10, you know? I thought um, you were looking at me. I was like, Danielle, I don't know. No, 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 no. I did research, Jody? but uh... you must know exactly how many jobs I've booked. No, 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 no. It's like... <laughs> It's just when you think of it in the percentage wise, it's it's a lot of essentially what feels like failures when you're going through it um, and constantly having to prove yourself again, because even though you book a job, it feels like the next job, you have to prove yourself again and prove yourself again and prove yourself again. And I was really just debating if it was um, if it was something that really brought me joy and if I really wanted to struggle this hard. And so I kind of had set up this thing, like if I don't book something by 30 I'm just going to go to law school and, and that's going to be my life. And I'm going to walk away from acting. Like I, like I decided to kind of give up on music. Um, and I'd come to terms with that. I was ready. And so I was kind of at this last, like little push in those years, those last couple of years, where I was like, I'm just going to I told my team, I was like, I'm saying yes to every job. Don't be picky. Say yes to every job that comes across the table. I want to, cause they get, you know, agents and managers can rightfully so for their clients are picky and choosy. Um, and so I was doing, and this is not a fault to any of these, these projects, but I was like, I did every Lifetime film and every Hallmark film that they threw at me. I did like every B movie, C movie. I was like, fine. I'm just trying to get as make as much money as I can. And if I don't book something that really has an impact on my life um, I'm or impact on my career, I'm just going to retire and go to school to be a lawyer. And, uh, and yeah, and I, I've, I, uh, I booked back-to-back -back jobs nonstop, which was crazy that it happened that way. And I think it was also just that mental switch of actually going like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not thinking long-term anymore. I was really living in the moment. And I just went into every audition being like, I don't care if I book this. Not making it too precious. Yep.
And I booked every damn job, which is so much easier said than done. Going into an audition and being like, I don't care is almost impossible. I don't know how I did it, but at that point I was in the mindset I could do it because I was already moved on. I was moved on to the next chapter. And I booked every job, every door opened a new door. I booked a Tyler Perry show that really is what changed it all. But I mean, I could trace it back a little bit, a little bit further, but like Tyler Perry's show empowered me so much because he let me negotiate my deal essentially. So my team didn't want me to do it for their own reasons. I had an amazing experience auditioning for Tyler. I loved the character. I thought it was fun. It was definitely more of a soap opera, but what's wrong with that? <laughs> and, you know, in our industry, sometimes that's like frowned upon, but why? I mean, people love soap operas. So yeah. I, um, in the end though, my team wanted me to say no. I was saying they need to, from a money standpoint, meet a certain quote. Tyler just called me and he empowered me and was like, how do I get you to sign this contract? And I told him what it was. And he said, okay, deal. And I did that job. It went for two seasons. The second it, it got, it ended in go past two seasons. My first audition was for station 19 and I booked it not thinking that I was going to book it again. I was still in this mindset. Like there's no way I'm booking this. I'm already in Chicago, retired, you know, retired and going to law school in my head. <laughs> I booked the job and I was like, okay, I shot the pilot. I was like, they're definitely going to fire me and replace me after the pilot because there's like, they've made a huge mistake. And then here I am six seasons later, like pinching myself, like what the fuck? <laughs> oh my gosh. Also, can we, can you, I remember when I, we were at your house for the rap party after heard and Jamie was there and you were like, I still have the t-shirt that I wore to the audition. Can you tell everyone what t-shirt you were wearing? Cause that cracks me up. <laughs> so, and it's like, it was called out by Paris Barclay, our producing director at the time. Um, every audition. So I walked in and I have a little, I'm a little superstitious, which I think everyone is to some extent in this industry because there's so much up to fate. Um, that's why so many actors get into like crystals and, you know, astrology and like, <laughs> we need for, like, something to keep give us. Me a, yes. Give me a sign. Um, <laughs> let me believe in something. And so I was a little superstitious and I wore this shirt that said espresso yourself and jean pants. And I can't remember what the shoes were, they were tennis shoes, like just plain tennis shoes. And I wore it to every audition in my hair and a ponytail with no makeup. And that's what I'd been kind of doing in these auditions. Um, that I'd been booking for these couple years. And so uh, when the audition, then I went back for a callback and wore the same shirt, same jeans. Like had, thank, I washed it. I had to tell Paris in that third audition. In the third audition, I come back again and I'm wearing the same outfit. And Paris is just like, geez, do you have any other clothes? Like what's happening? <laughs> and I was like, I'm superstitious, okay? Because there's in a world where you're like, if they think I'm right for this, they keep bringing me back for this role. If I change what I'm wearing, maybe they won't think I'm right for the role anymore. You're kind of told, taught that in some acting schools too. They're like, okay, like don't throw them off. Like just wear the same thing. They liked what they saw. You don't want to wear green when you wore red. And they're like, oh, the skin color is different. Like you're taught these things. See? So, so I don't know. We don't know. I mean, it's all like bullshit. Whoever's, everybody has their own opinion. All casting has their own opinion. Producers, all blah, blah, blah. But you were like, I'm superstitious. I'm wearing my espresso yourself shirt because I'm yep. espresso-ween myself, okay? <laughs> and it was like a shirt at the time that I felt was like very much in line with like who I was. I very much was like, just fuck it. Like <laughs> that's the headspace I was in. And I had a good time and I would just walk in the room having fun. And like, I remember my first audition for, for this role for Maya of Station 19. Like I walked in the room, did the scenes, literally had no notes given to me on that first audition. Which and you're always like, 
okay, bye. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm definitely not getting this. So I remember just having fun, which is kind of the attitude I'd had that around this time. And I just like looked at Linda Lowy and she had this thing that said boss bitch plaque on her counter. And next thing you know, I'm talking about literally her plaque saying boss bitch. And then I just had this in-depth conversation with her about like her career. And I was like, did you always know you wanted to be a casting director? Like, how did you know? And why did you stay? And like, like, I feel like I was having this like deep conversation about life choices because I was going through that. And like, we ended up talking more about that and she gave me no notes. And then in the second and third audition, they gave me notes, but I wore this espresso yourself shirt. I even wore it at the table read with Shonda <laughs> Rhimes because I was just so nervous. God forbid that I changed anything that I was going to get fired. So they were just going to realize they made a horrible mistake. So yeah, I wore the espresso yourself shirt, but but I still, and I still remember that first season of Station 19, going back to the law, going to law school question. I still was in that mindset. Like I have my LSAT books. I was studying them. I was doing the little um, like quizzes and tests and things that you have in the book, even into season two of the show. Like, how did you have the time? I just, we, there was tons of downtime on set, you know, in between. You're, you can do it in your trailer and stuff. Exactly. It was kind of like that. Like I didn't, I couldn't do any errands or like run and do like lunches or dinners or stuff. I was on set the whole time, but I was able to read LSAT books. So I do remember like really still having my mind in that. And it probably wasn't until season three and season four, like once season four hit that I was like, oh no, I don't think I'm going to law school. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing that. I think I'm, I think I'm officially a, a working actor. You are, baby. You are. (laughs) And you still are. And and then you decided, oh, well, now that I'm a working actor, I would like to also direct. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the same time, it's funny, like the whole like law school. And then I remember season two, I would sit at Video Village a lot with um, with Paris again, who's such a huge mentor of mine, if you can't tell already. And uh, I would sit at Video Village with him and he was like, do you want to direct? He would just kind of ask one day. I was like, I mean, I'd love to direct, but I don't think that's possible. I just... I'd seen Catherine Bigelow win an award, which I'll always remember as like a monumental moment uh, when she won an Oscar, Catherine Bigelow for Hurt Locker. Um, But I'd never worked with a ton of female directors. It was just not common. In all the years I had done this, I can only really recall one female director. It was for a sitcom I did called, I don't know what it was called. I don't remember. No idea what the heck the sitcom was called, but it was the first and only female director that I can recall working with. So it wasn't just, it just wasn't something I saw a lot in the industry growing up. And that's insane for TV when it's mm-hmm. typically a different director each episode. Yep. A yeah, lot of the times. Episode. Yep. And so it really wasn't until Station 19, I started seeing female directors because they make it a priority of theirs to hunt down and find great female directors. It's not like they don't exist. People just, just hire their friends and their friends end up being men because men and men and they chat and the networking it's just that well, cycle that's yes. just that we are trying to dismantle. <laughs> Correct. And so Shondaland really makes it a point and ABC, I'll give both of them credit to like make sure they really hire, they're, they're diverse in their hiring of their directors and their actors and their crew. So I started to see female directors. I was sitting at Village and Paris said, do you want to direct? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but like, like yeah, that's never going to happen. And he's like, do it. And I was like, being the curious person that I am was like, well, how do I do it? Like, what do I, what's my first step? He's like, start shadowing. I was like, what's shadowing? (laughs) Like, I didn't know what any of this was. So I am, I have to say very much shameless when it comes to stuff like this. So I just started asking, I just was like, how do I shadow? I put in the request to shadow. I had to call, you know, I asked Paris and I asked Krista Vernoff, um, how do I direct on the show? What do I need to do? 
you know, it was funny. Paris was like, talk to Krista. Krista was like, talk to Paris at first. And I was like, well, someone's got to tell me what to do. So in the end, Krista was like, you need to short a sh shoot a short film and you need to, Paris was like, you need a shadow. So we started the process of me shadowing directors, which is where you follow them like a shadow uh, from prep to post and really get to see what they're doing. And the first six times I did it, it was so eye-opening. I learned something new from each director I shadowed that I'll never forget. They were all so invaluable to my learning process and my journey to become a director of Station 19. Um, and so I did that. I shot my own short, finally, that starred you. <laughs> hey, because, because of Jamie Castro, finding your amazing talent. And literally you walked in the room and I was like, so obviously we know who we're hiring. <laughs> And it that was, was all before the shutdown. Yeah. Yep. And we were supposed to shoot right before. And there was tons of hurdles like to get to that point too. Um, and, and I'm glad that you stuck with it and were willing to do it when the shutdown, you know, when the, the restrictions got lifted. But uh, yeah, we were supposed to shoot. I was initially supposed to shoot the short film on our stages. And then the stages that we film at made it extremely difficult. And I was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to shoot at my house. So I figured out a way to shoot it at my house and like at a stage um, oh no, it was a stage. It wasn't at my house at first. That's right. It was at a sound stage outside of it in Burbank where they were going to build the set. Oh yes. Yes. The what when in March, 2020, that's where yep. we were going to do it. Right. Yes. Yep. I remember you mentioning like, this is the weekend the stages are available. Yeah. And then we were texting. It was like the lockdown happened on like the 15th on that Sunday. We were supposed to shoot the following weekend. We we're like, we'll just keep in touch, see what happens. And then I think by yes. like Thursday, we were like, I don't think we're filming this weekend. <laughs> well, it was this weird thing because obviously I've never been through a pandemic before. Neither of you. Like we just, yeah. it's not something we've experienced before. And these restrictions were just like, no one kind of knew. I remember when they had the first night of, they said the, um, what was it called? Stay in place. Is it stay in place or? Shelter in place. Shelter. I'm sitting with Alicia and Barrett at Barrett's house and all of us looked at each other and we're like, we got this alert on our phones about shelter in place. And we're like, does that mean we have to stay at your house, Barrett? <laughs> we didn't even understand what that meant. We're like, do we stay here? Can we go home? Like, yeah, we went home that night. But that being said, it was like, I think all of us were kind of working through it. And I remember what you're talking about is that the 15th and then they did like a no, no gatherings of 50 or less or 50 or more, sorry, but our crew was less than 50. So that first week we were like waiting and waiting. And I remember I sent an email to the entire crew and cast saying like, are you guys comfortable if we shoot? Like, we want to know who, cause we're going to move forward. They said groups, no gatherings of 50 or more were under 50. So we're going to move forward. And then I think like that Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, it was like no gatherings of 10 or more. And I was like, we can't do this. This is impossible. So we finally yeah. had to pull the plug. And so I had to wait, you know, until the next, we did our, we shot through the pandemic, we filmed, um, that next hiatus, I finally shot the short film that you just brilliantly acted in and knocked it out of the park. And then the film went on for a year doing the film festivals and got tons of critical acclaim and <laughs> and so many so much love um, because of your performance. And so then I eventually oh, and your direction like that was your first time directing and it blew me away. You know, I mean, I haven't had been on as many sets as you, but like I've been <laughs> on a good amount and like yeah. you. I, and I think that there's something to a director who has acted and mm -hmm. knows so. acting. You know how to speak. You know what you want. You articulate it well. A lot of the times I feel like as actors, we have to be like, we have to decipher a code and then be like, is this what you want? You know, um, you know, to make it actionable and doable and actually express the story that needs to be told. And you, you made me feel so comfortable through it all. 
um, especially with the subject matter and everything. I, I could not have asked for a better experience. It was, it's a highlight of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear that. And I'm very, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I honestly, it's so interesting because that's honestly what I was the most scared of is I was like, am I going to know how to talk to actors? Because I know, again, how every actor receives and kind of processes notes differently. Um, and I just wasn't sure if I was going to be able to verbalize what I wanted from someone else and if it would make sense. And I remember I do, I don't know if you remember this, but I would say, I was like, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Do you understand? Yeah, you did. You did. Like I constantly <laughs> would ask that because I made sense to myself, but I was like, I just don't know if what I'm saying is registering. And it sounds like it did. And what's nice is I kind of got that validation too when I was directing the episode of Station 19 because the actors all were like, you know, no, I loved your direction. I understood everything you wanted, everything you needed. And so, yeah. It was, I was going to ask about the parallels. What was it like directing a TV show that you also <laughs> had to act in? <laughs> Well, luckily they took me out a little bit. I mean, I would have liked to have been taken out a little bit more, even though I did tell Emily Culver, the writer, I was like, leave me in, it's totally fine. I can do it. And she laughs about, she reminds me that I said that to her all the time. She's like, do you remember when you said that? And I was like, yeah, that was me being very optimistic. Um, yeah, but your monologue where you put that man in his place was chef's kisses. That was fun. I have to give that though to the, I mean, Emily just wrote such an amazing monologue. I just had to make sure I was like, give the emotion, give the intensity. It was all a blur because that scene, I can barely remember directing and acting and like my, my brain was being pulled in so many different ways that that scene, I have very little recollection of shooting it. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the difference is actually shooting the short film was way more stressful than the television show. Because, and I think too, because I had five years of training essentially to direct on Station 19, I'd been on the show for six years. I felt really prepared when it came time to direct. And I've worked with this crew, so I felt comfortable and this cast. But also too, the, the short film, so I had was wearing more hats, even though I wasn't producing, Saad and Bill were producing. I had to make a lot of decisions. The script was my story even though Tia was the writer with me, like it really was what story do I want to tell? How do I want to tell it? Um, what I had to say and approve everything. I financed the whole thing. So it was like every piece of the budget was like, do you approve this? Do you approve this? Do you approve this? I was like, I don't know. What's our budget at now? What are we spending? You know, I shot it in my house. I'm like painting my walls and repainting my walls. <laughs> and like, it was so much more stressful. And to make sure I did it in three days, um, just, and I think that's where the stress came from. It was just my, it really was technically my first time. Whereas even though I think if Station 19, directing Station 19 had been my first time directing, I would have been probably as stressed as I was, but I'm really happy I got to do the short film first because I kind of got out those butterflies and those jitters and I was able to uh, accomplish what I had set out to achieve in three days. And then I was really happy with the product and then it was able to be successful in the festival circuit. And so by the time it came around to shoot Station 19, I was like, okay, I can do this. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I can do Station 19, but I know I can direct. So let's just see if this works. And I had a crew of 300 people helping me through it. It wasn't my money. <laughs> I didn't have to write the story. The story was fantastically written by Emily Culver. And I just had to bring what her words to life and add my visual style to it and work with Darren Okada, who's a fantastic deep, like I had a fantastic DP on the short too. Um, Andy is amazing. But that being said, like it, all these elements 
it was so much easier to have 300 people supporting me through the entire process um, and not having as much responsibility. <laughs> True. And like, like you were saying, like you're setting the tone and the story for the short film because it's never been done mm -hmm. versus, you know, not saying it's not a feat in its own, but Station 19 already has its rhythm and tone set. Yes. You just have to bring your twist to it and yes. serve the, the new story of that episode. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. That's exactly a very, very much more eloquent way, eloquent way to put it than what I did. But yes, it's like, <laughs> they're basically, it's everything set. I just have to follow their formula. But what I got to do was add some really cool shots. I know on our show, we like movement and um, fast acting, fast talking. And so I know we're going to cut a lot, but I also was trying to get in some shots that flowed enough and moved enough that I could keep them in without getting them cut. <laughs> and I did, which I'm really proud of because that is in line with what the show, the show's tone and style is. So yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, you did such a great job and Thanks. you have, and you know that somebody is not just a beacon of creative creativity and willingness and support, but like you have such a light about you and you care. I mean, when we had, we all celebrated Danielle for her screening for the directorial debut of Station 19. And you had so many people there loving you and willing to be there and show up for you because of like what you give to everybody else. And I just want you to know that it's <laughs> so seen and felt. And um, I just like, I can't wait to see the next episode, are you going to direct another episode? Or are you? I mean, that's the hope. First of all, thank you for saying all of that. I'm, I'm always actually shocked when the amount of people show up for like, I did the screening for Herd and I did this. I'm always putting on screenings. This one was more of a surprise put on for me, but then I had to come in closer to the end because they were like, we need help. We're trying to do this screening party for you, but we can't do it all on our own. Um, yeah, I didn't know if it was a surprise. And then I was like, I, I was like, can I have a plus one? And then you texted me and we're like, you can have a plus one. I was like, oh, yeah. she knows. <laughs> That's basically what ended up started happening is like basically so one person was sending out the invites. One person was getting the guest list. One person was coordinating with like post-production, like all these elements were moving. And finally they were like, you know, we need your help because we don't know who you want to invite. We don't know who, if we're missing anyone. We don't know like, do you like this venue? <laughs> like, so in the end I had to come in, but it was amazing both times for the short film and for this screen of my directorial debut of Station 19, that I was shocked at the amount of people that showed up, like every time. And it like warms my heart and is always, I don't know, it's it makes me feel very grateful just that there's so many people that support me. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done so far if I didn't have all the support and love from all the people. So um, it's definitely, what do they say? Like a synonymous relationship, maybe like, yeah, I, they, it's, it almost feels like it's like the woman's women supporting women concept, right? It's really just people supporting people. But I feel like we all kind of in this world I'm in right now and the people I'm surrounded with, we all support each other. And it kind of just feels like this. Okay. Who's next? We all show up at the person's thing. Okay. J Jamie Castro has a, a movie. She's screening. We got to go watch it. Okay. Jody has a play she's putting on. We got to and I think we all just support each other in such a beautiful way. And it always blows my mind that I'm so, and I'm so grateful to be part of such an amazing community of people. But um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> I'll be living on, on that high of that screening in that episode for a while. But I hope to direct next season. We'll see. Um, it depends. We, we're starting probably much later because of the very 
very needed strike that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely show my support. But and we I, might you, be striking, or right. hopefully. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just everyone fighting for what's right and for yeah. to get paid their worth and for the work they're doing. It's just like what a crazy concept. But um, right. because of that, the season will probably be shorter and start later, and so. I may or may not get to direct. It's all about who deserves to direct. And there might be directors that are in line that have really worked hard to get there. So we'll see if I direct next season. I've been told they want me to, but if we don't get a full season order of episodes, um, you know, I might have to step out of the way for someone else to direct an episode, but we'll see. (laughs) What about like um, another short or indie feature or some sort? Are you kind of just concentrating, just waiting to see what the new new season brings or is that in the... I would love to do, yeah, I would love to do it. I met with a friend today who does a bunch of like rom-coms and they're always looking for new young and up and coming directors that they can usually pay less money to, which I would be like, I'll do it for free because like I'm new, but um, I would love to direct something. I don't think I'll do another short just because there's a lot of output. And even though I love telling these short stories and I think there's so many beautiful ones, I feel like unfortunately you don't, it doesn't, lend itself to a lot more uh, projects and jobs after. And this was very much a stipulation put in place for me to direct on Station 19. I'm very happy I got to tell a story that felt like a personal story that I wanted to put out there and I wanted to tell. So I'm glad I got to do that. Um, and it resonated with so many people and caused, and, and as a result, had so many great conversations stem from it. But I think I'm good on short films unless something comes to mind. Unless, you know, someone comes at me and they're like, I have this idea, you want to direct the short film? I'm like, sure. But I don't think I'm going to decide purposely to direct another short film, but would love to do some indies. I would love to do um, some TV shows. I have a project that I've been in the works and I'm going to keep probably three years from now. I'm still going to be like, I have this project in the works. <laughs> that will Dude, eventually- some things take like decades, you know? Yes. So eventually, I mean, I hope I direct, if it takes decades, I hope I direct on something else before it. But <laughs> I'm really, it's really a huge passion project that is- uh, about women in history. I always try to keep it so vague because I don't want anyone to really, really know, but it's women in history and some stories that need to be told that yeah. it's crazy that they haven't been told. And so I would love, I was initially brought the project because um, the writer was interested in me acting in it. And I was like, what about if we work together and I directed on it? And now I've gotten to the point where like, I kind of read the script and I was like, I don't even know what character I'd play. I just want to direct this. I want to be a part of like the collaborative process, start to finish. And if a role, you know, in it works for me, great. But that would be that I'm super excited to direct when the time comes. Yeah. I think you told me in Dallas what it's about. I think I did. Yeah. I won't, I haven't said it publicly, which I know this will be more public, but yeah, it does finally. We don't need to, we don't need to give away all the secrets. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's also like, I feel like a little superstitious, right? Like once you say it, you're like, oh, it's not going to happen if I say it out loud. So I just kind of keep yeah. saying that. It's going to happen. Um, oh. I also love that it's like your through line, like the whole women thing, your short film was about women empowerment. It sounds like this project is about telling sto- women's stories that need to be brought to the forefront and which also empowers and... um I think it's really freaking amazing that that's your been your platform and maybe if you wanted it to be or not like what a great platform to stand on and to lead other women and you know hopefully men follow suit and just start like (laughs) giving people their dues and telling the stories that are that need to continue to be told because yeah I'm so tired of hearing the same stuff over and over and over again yeah 
And it's a, <laughs> and it takes chances because so many times I get, you know, and I can understand it from a producer standpoint or the network standpoint, like they're just trying to, it's a business and they're just trying to put stuff out there that they know is going to make them money so that they can keep the business afloat essentially. But the truth is, is they have to take chances on stories that haven't been told and stop regurgitating the same old stories. But I'm really proud to be a part of Shondaland and ABC because they seem to really want to take those chances and they do continually take those chances. I mean, Station 19 is one of the most, if not the most diverse shows on network television. I mean, the cast is so diverse in so many different ways. And I'm always kind of like shocked by that because I sit around and I'll watch other shows and I'm like, wow, (laughs) like I'll watch a show and I'll be like, this show is all white people. (laughs) Or like, this show has no LGBTQIA characters in it. Like, there's so many shows that I realize that you discover once you're a part of a show like Station 19 and what it represents that so many other shows lack that. And so I'm really proud that ABC and Shondaland are willing to, that they were willing to take a a shot at Station 19 and that it's working. Because I also, I think also having shows like this work shows, it gives an example of like, see, take a chance. Yeah. (laughs) Great results. (laughs) And it's really beautiful circling back to that moment when you were like, I'm going to keep auditioning, but I'm not going to make it precious. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to study to maybe go to law school. And if anything really makes an impact on my life, and then you correct it yourself or impact on my career, Mm -hmm. um, then that will be my segue. But it really seems like this is making an impact on your life and the world. And that's a really awesome community and project to be a part of. Yeah, it really is. Sometimes it's like, I have to, like, I think I said earlier too, like kind of pinch myself. Like, it's pretty crazy the impact that this show has on so many people. I just did um, an online convention. I'm about to go do two in-person conventions in Paris and Milan because the fan base of this show has gotten so huge and we literally have the best fans in the world, but it's so humbling and beautiful to see how many people are inspired by the show, by the character I play, by the characters on the show. It's not just me specifically. I go to the convention, so I hear about all of it, but like, it's pretty amazing and pretty surreal. There's some days that I'm like, none of this is real. I'm in a dream. <laughs> like when Grey's Anatomy had like the scenes of like Ellen Pompeo on the beach when she was in the coma. Like sometimes I'll crack jokes with friends. I was like, none of this is real. I'm in a coma. And like, cause it's all too, too good to be true some days. Like, yeah, I'm in a coma and all this is all my dreams come true. And somebody's going to wake me up and remind me that it's none of it's real. So it's very surreal at times, but I'm very lucky and very proud and very grateful. Well, I am so grateful that we did this and we got to chat and because you have been such a inspiration, I want to leave you with a little inspiration. Um, so at the end of every episode, I pass the note from my previous guest to the guest I'm speaking with now. Um, this is from um, Britt Rohr. She runs Swell Press Paper out of Manhattan Beach. She's a letterpress connoisseur and does all things artistic, creative with her hands and pretty incredible. If you ever have a party, hire her. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to send you a little excerpt from Rick Rubin's new book, The Creative Act. Mm -hmm. Living life as an artist is a practice. You are either engaging in the practice or you're not. It makes no sense to say you're not good at it. It's like saying, I'm not good at being a monk. 
You are either living as a monk or you're not. We tend to think of the artist's work as the output. The real work of the artist is a way of being in the world. Wow. That gave me goosebumps. Please don't tell me I'm supposed to end with one because no, no, okay, good. Things, it's like on the spot. No, you have time. I also need to figure out since this is like the end episode, yeah, how it's gonna work for like a new season. So yeah. you have some time, but yeah, it's never like on the spot. Give it to me, baby. Because I, like, I mean, obviously there's some I know, but I'm like, I don't know what would like hers that is so beautiful and so profound and really um is a good reminder. It's a beautiful beautiful quote I know I need to get his book everyone's been talking about it <laughs> I didn't even know this now I do see this is how things yeah. spread it's like you got to get this new book um that's beautiful and I'm so glad she left me with that I'll definitely yeah. be taking that with me yes and um I if you want to tell people where they can find you oh. on Instagram or if you have it's any other plugs yeah, uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'm very active. I love engaging and posting things. Um, Instagram's D Savory and Twitter is also D underscore Savory, I believe. I laugh that I don't even know. I'm like, is that my handle? Um, I've had them for so long now, I can't remember. But uh, that's where you can find me and kind of up to date on everything that's going on, which I really love to. I'm pretty much an open book, so I love to share my life with the world. Um, I keep some things private because we all kind of yeah. have to, but <laughs> for the most part, if there's something going on, uh, you will see it there. And that's, I think it, you know, it'll be a fun summer and hiatus and I'm kind of looking forward to it and getting out there on the picket lines to support the writers. Yep. And then hopefully, you know, if we strike and have to strike, then we'll be out there too for this for SAG. So Yeah. Um, that's it. I don't think I have to do anything else. This has been an absolute joy and I'm so happy we got to do it because we've been talking about it now for what feels like, feels like a year, but it's probably only been a couple months that we've been like, we've got to make this happen. So <laughs> I'm yeah. honored that you were, that I was your finale for season one. And I think you were absolutely amazing and talented and smart. And you yourself are a freaking beacon of sunshine. So <laughs> thank you for, um, for, yeah always being thank so you. nice and kind to me <laughs> too. Oh my gosh. You're amazing. <laughs> thank you. And, um, I will see you soon. Okay. Thank I will you see so you much soon. again for doing this. this. It means this is awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Jody. Love okay. You. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Do I just sign off now? Is that yeah, how it's Just done? sign off. You're good. Okay. Bye. Bye, babe. Thank you so much for listening to the Notes with Friends podcast hosted by me, Jody Moore-Lewis. That was the season finale, season one finale. I will be back, so stay tuned. Keep in touch. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. It will help boost the show and the charts. And as always, shout out to Robopop, Dan Emilio, for my beats. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on this journey, and I will chat with you soon. Bye-bye.